0: This is Inside Geneva. I'm your host, Imogen Folks, and this is a Swissinfo.ch production. From the world's humanitarian capital, we explore the challenges facing our planet. Whether it's migration or climate change, human rights or global health, I'll be taking you behind the scenes for some straight talk with the people facing up to those challenges. In today's programme. There are signs of a second wave of the pandemic in parts of Europe. Les autorités genevoises ferment discothèques et dancing. coup de massue pour le monde
1: de la nuit. Over 16,000 new coronavirus cases have been diagnosed in France, another record daily high. The number of patients seriously ill with the
2: virus is also growing.
0: Yes, I'm afraid so. We're back with the topic that just won't leave us alone, the coronavirus pandemic. Today we're going to look at how governments communicate, how we react and how this pandemic may change us and our societies. My guests today are Samia Hurst-Manyo, professor of ethics at Geneva University and a member of the Swiss government's COVID-19 task force.
1: We know that it's not going to last just a few more weeks and I think during the spring some people truly believed it was going to last
0: just a few more weeks. We know that it's not going to last a decade either. Ilona Kickbusch, founder of the Global Health Centre at Geneva's Graduate Institute.
3: We are constantly talking about, you know, going back to normal. We must stop that kind of thinking. Our societies, the way we live, the way our economies are structured, is being restructured by this virus as we speak. And Nicola Lowe,
0: epidemiologist at Bayern University, and also a member of the government task force.
2: I don't think any of our governments are doing a particularly good job of it because I think that they are trying to pull the wool over our eyes and pretend that things are better than they really are.
0: Now, as we heard in those news headlines just a few moments ago, cases of COVID-19 are rising across Europe, including here in Geneva, and we're all beginning to feel not just exhausted, but anxious as well. The World Health Organization's Europe office calls it pandemic fatigue. Just when we all thought we'd earned some light relief after months of lockdown, the virus comes racing back. So what can we and our governments expect this winter? How can we prepare? Those were the questions at the top of my list, and I put them to Ilona Kickbush.
3: Well, it's always difficult to look into a crystal bowl and say, you know, this is going to happen with COVID-19 or that is going to happen because we've been surprised in uh, so many uh, cases of, uh, you know, how the virus has come back, how countries have compared. So it's, it's very difficult to say what exactly is going to happen. But I think, you know, from everything we're seeing right now with an increase nearly everywhere, I think, again, you know, this whole notion of preparedness uh, is really, really critical. So how do countries prepare for a potential second wave? How do they prepare for new scientific knowledge that's coming in about how the virus is transmitted, particularly in closed environments? And I think here, please be clear in your messages. Don't change them every two weeks. Uh, don't language people don't understand you know all of that that's what I wanted to come to hypothetically were you a European
0: health minister right now what would you be thinking what would you be trying to say to people
3: well I think I would tell people we're seeing a rise and we've got to be careful I would tell people we are not thinking about a new national lockdown. We will not have a vaccine before mid or end of next year. We have to live with this virus. And therefore, testing and tracing is going to be more and more important. So I think those are some of the things. And... uh, and you have to be clear and you have do not make promises you cannot make. If I compare what Jens Spahn is saying to what Donald Trump is saying, OK, one is a president, one is a minister, but uh, it's very clear, you know, the German health minister is not making promises he cannot keep.
0: What do you think might have gone wrong, though, because, I mean, if we look at Spain, it had one of the longest and strictest lockdowns, and yet cases are shooting up. In Britain, people are thinking we had to do all that for months, and now we're about to have to do it all again.
3: I think one of the problems has been, and, you know, we will have to research that in greater detail, is what happened after the lockdown. It seems also that countries that did close, but did not close as radically, you know, a total lockdown. I mean, if I see all that discussion in the UK about who traveled where during the lockdowns, you know, uh, Germany or Switzerland were not that strict. And they're doing Uh, all right, comparatively. Because uh, it was not, you know, this, we locked down totally. And then it seemed to me in some cases, oh, you know, now we can do all kinds of things again. And maybe also, but we need social science research for that. You know, people, and particularly young people, had gotten so upset, so frustrated with being reined in, that the first signal they were given, you know, life is going to happen again, is that they rushed out.
1: We were also reopen, restaurants and pubs.
2: Hallelujah! Oh, that's lovely. It's been a few months now, so we've been able to go out and have a drink together.
0: And that's the hard part. People, especially young people, want some fun after all these months of pandemic. When the bars opened, they naturally went out. But in some countries, the UK, Spain, that fun was short-lived. Curfews are back family reunions limited samia hurst manyo is on switzerland's task force specifically to look at social behavior and how people can be encouraged to stick with the restrictions
1: the situation will be inevitably confusing but the question is how do we get through this together so part of why people are confused i think is because some of the learning is taking place in real time in december of 2019, most of the world had never heard of SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, and um, even the first cases were not quite yet identified as such. And there has been a tremendous speed in collective learning. But this also means, since we keep learning new things, it means they, they keep coming new information that people have to metabolize. And then, as you say, the measures keep changing. I think one way to understand it is that it's as if we had a budget a budget of risk, a budget of risk that we're allowed to take in order for the danger of the epidemic firing up again not to be too great. And the more virus circulates, the smaller our budget becomes. The more there is community transmission where we are, the less we can spend risk. And this is why the numbers keep changing. This is why the number of people I can see keep changing If we have a lot of of community transmission, a lot of cases, at one point a lot of deaths, we can take fewer risks and we have to restrict the people we see, restrict the activities that we have in order to cut transmission chains and control the risk. The the opposite is also true. If we manage to get community transmission lower, then we we increase our risk budget. We can do more things, we can keep more things open, we can see more people while still remaining in an acceptable budget of risk and if you don't understand it
0: in that way then perhaps you can't understand it at all. Well I think there's no doubt though is there, that people are getting exhausted not just confused but exhausted and yet the way you've explained it we are all going to have to keep at it. Could governments do a better job, not specific governments, just in general, but could a better job be done in motivating people? I think that there are
1: some basic elements that actually have been implemented in some parts of the world that are really crucial here. So first, the uncertainties have to be communicated, because otherwise, when we learn something new, it looks like we've just changed our minds, right? And nobody understands anymore. We have to be able to say... This is something we're not sure about. Watch this space. When we learn, the answer we will tell you. And then make good on that promise. And some governments have made good on that, others less so. Then there is this question of the budget of risk that I just described, so people can understand that, okay,
0: we're opening schools again. It doesn't mean it's now okay to go party as well. But as cases rise, the rules change and change again. And that's hard for us ordinary people, this little video from a British comedian went viral because it reflected a general frustration across Europe. So we are saying, don't go to work, go to work. Don't take public transport, go to work, don't go to work. Stay indoors. If you can work from home, go to work. Don't go to work. Go outside. Don't go outside. And uh, and then we will or won't uh, something or other. Epidemiologist Nicola Lowe, also on the Swiss government task force... Thinks governments need to do better, but not in the way we might expect.
2: I don't think any of us, any of our governments, are doing a particularly good job of it, because I think that they are trying to pull the bull over our eyes and pretend things that are that things are better than they really are. We do have to live with the virus, but that it, but there are different ways of bringing across how we have to live with it. Uh, and things that we can do for people uh, and what we have to sacrifice that maybe i hasn't hit the right balance and one thing that is totally essential about this epidemic is to understand that it is a balance you cannot relax something with some kind of restriction without replacing it with something else that is also going to keep the case numbers down and what people have been given the expectation is is that we will be able to relax things we will be able to get back to to normal without saying what the reality is that you have got to accept a restriction in some other area if you want the freedom to to do something
0: you said at one point you thought that governments were trying to tell people that things are not as bad as they actually are But, you know, all of us think this is really, really bad. So what's worse? What is it that's worse that the governments aren't telling us?
2: In Switzerland, when cases clearly started rising after the big relaxation of all of those measures, we have essentially had an exponential increase since then. It hasn't been really, really steep. But it has been exponentially increasing meaning that we have not had a virus under control and every public message about the increase in the numbers was the number has increased slightly we have a mildly increasing number of cases and that I think was misleading and the fact that those cases were not in, accompanied by the same sort of increase in hospitalizations and, and deaths meant that people felt that it wasn't really a serious increase. People aren't dying, so what's the problem?
0: Yeah, lots of people say that to me. What is the problem then? Answer them.
2: So the problem is that younger people may not get very very severe disease that puts them immediately into hospital, but younger people have symptoms. Many of them have symptoms that go on for a, for a very very long time, and younger people mix with older people. So w- what we we will see undoubtedly is that this age distribution is going to shift and it is already shifting. It is already shifting such that the average age of cases is starting to increase and the number of hospitalizations is increasing and there are more deaths.
0: Oh dear, preparing this programme my aim was to find at least one or two inspiring messages to help us through the winter. So far it's not working out that way. To be fair, Task force members like Samia and Nicola know this is a hard message to sell. As Samia explains, there are well known strategies to reassure populations in times of crisis. But as she demonstrates with this aviation example, they fall short when it comes to COVID 19.
1: Take just a minute to say this is the operation we're going to do today these are the times when it's going to be hard this is the time it's going to last something like what the pilot of an airline will will do when you come on board ladies and gentlemen this is your captain speaking we're on flight to go to this place or so will take that long the altitude will be this we're expecting to have some difficulties at this point may we may shake a little all of that and if we've been told that then everything becomes so much easier to live through. We know it's going to be an eight-hour flight, okay, so we don't get impatient after 30 minutes. We know that there may be turbulences along the way, so we're not afraid that we're now going to be in a crash when turbulences start, because we've been told ahead of time. But, 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 can I just click you up on
0: that? Nobody can tell us how long this is going to last.
1: That's what's so difficult. It's true, but we can have some idea. We know that it's not going to last just a few more weeks and I think during the spring, some people truly believed it was going to last just a few more weeks, we know that it's not going to last a decade either. So we have some idea as to how long it could last, and we have some idea of where the path takes us in the interim. And, of course, it's a hard message to give because of all the uncertainties, but I think it's still a necessary one. Otherwise, what happens is what we see happening, right and left, actually, In the absence of a true narrative of what could happen, people need a narrative so much that they will latch on to the first one that comes along, regardless of whether it is fact-based or not.
0: Would you hazard a guess? You said you know it's not a few weeks, but you also know it's not 10 years, would you have hazard a guess of something a little more precise than that?
1: It's, it's not possible to say with certainty how long it's going to last. But there are a few things that can be said at this point. Vaccine development has never been so fast in history. It's really, surreally fast. And one of the reasons why is that many, many different teams are working on vaccine development simultaneously, whereas usually that doesn't happen. And also, many, many people have worked lots of overtime to smooth the path so that all the verifications that need to happen can still happen. They're very important and we should not do away with them, but they can happen faster. All the delays that usually happen have been cut to the minimum. And less than a year after the beginning of of the pandemic, there are already several uh, vaccines that are now in phase three of the development. And treatments is the same thing. Treatments are also on a fast track for development and treatments could be just as useful as a vaccine in a way. What we need is for the virus to lose its teeth, to no longer be so fearsome, to no longer kill us or put us into a situation where we are disabled for a long time, as is the case in the so-called long COVID cases that are coming up now. So we can hope that something will be demonstrated effective Sometime in the coming year or two.
0: So there it is, the prospect of two years until we have a vaccine. And what does that mean for us in the meantime? Well, because our understanding of the virus is evolving, our strategies are a work in progress too, says Nicola Lowe.
2: There is not one single thing that we can do to control it. This is a multifaceted virus that spreads and can be transmitted by people who don't have any symptoms it is a new virus that we have to learn loads about but what we have built up as knowledge over eight months nine months is that there is a combination of things that we can do we need a strong testing system we need Good contact tracing. We need good isolation for people who themselves are infected. We need people wearing masks to protect other people and to protect themselves. We need to keep a distance from people so that we don't spread our germs onto them. We need to wash our hands so that we. Don't contaminate other surfaces. We need to restrict the size of gatherings so that we don't have events where large numbers of people are getting infected. We need to have good ventilation in places where people are going to be enclosed and many, many other interventions that I have probably forgotten about. And they are all working together. It's really, really hard to see where you can let let off the brake on one and for things not to increase. And what policymakers have to appreciate and what the public have to appreciate is that we are doing all of these things together because when you do all of those things together, they work.
0: So probably in Europe some countries are relaxing now the the restrictions on public gatherings. Meanwhile others are reintroducing that. But you would say probably over the winter we shouldn't we should just leave the public gatherings, the football matches, the concerts, we should leave that out.
2: Personally, I would say that mass gatherings are not where we should be uh, taking the risks. If you want to balance what you want to uh, keep going, you want to keep schools open and you want to keep universities open and you want to keep uh, small businesses open. In whatever way you can, and you want to give, you want to have as many freedoms as you can without putting larger numbers of people at risk, and you've got to look at what those risk situations are. And I think that risk situations are large numbers of people where you don't know whether they're where they're coming and going from, what they're going to do when they leave that situation.
0: You think Switzerland is complacent?
2: I think Switzerland is probably yes i think switzerland is probably being complacent but possibly because they because of playing it down i think it's i think it's really interesting how case numbers have not climbed and taken off massively in switzerland how we are managing to tread this very very fine line between cases going up exponentially, but they have not taken off massively. But it is very, very hard to say that we that we can continue on, on that line. It only takes one, by chance, very, very large event, I think, for things to take off massively.
0: No cheers from this task force member then for the Swiss government's decision to allow mass gatherings from the start of October. And so, as we look towards this winter, and into 2021 in fact, and maybe 2022, the picture that is beginning to emerge is that this is not a problem health ministers and scientists alone can fix. It's not even one entire governments can fix. But, says Ilona Kickbush, the governments that stand together and do their best to take
3: their citizens with them might
0: have a head start.
3: This is an all of society, all of politics problem, and you can't leave it to the health minister only. And you know that in itself would be an absolutely critical mistake to do that. because also, you know suddenly, is it the health minister's fault if restaurants can't open or something? It has to be a joint government decision. And that's why, to some extent, you know, in the early part of the the Swiss situation, when the whole federal council took a joint decision, that was such a critical message. So that whole of society, health in all policies, as some people have called it, etc., that's so important. You cannot leave your health minister alone with that.
0: You've said we
3: need consistent
0: messaging. We need honesty. So... You're a hypothetically government health minister. People are saying to you, I want to have parties at Christmas and I want a summer holiday next year on the beach somewhere. What are you going to say to them?
3: I do think it is the responsibility of a health minister to say, you know, certain things are unsure, certain things we don't know. We cannot assure you if you book a holiday today that you will be able to take it in 3 months time i think at the beginning of the pandemic many politicians thought it was going to be over soon and we're seeing now it's not going to be over soon we are going to live at least 2 years with this virus and we have to find out how we live with it and unless we do that you know we're going to sort of constantly go into open close open close etc We are constantly talking about, you know, going back to normal, or, you know, build back better or something. We must stop that kind of thinking. Our societies, the way we live, the way our economies are structured, where money is being made, where the jobs are going to be, is being restructured by this virus as we speak. And I think, Politicians at this point have the responsibility to really either use that or at least understand it. And so we also have to be very, very careful that, you know, the countries that are coming better out of this uh, this pandemic, that they remain solidaric with the others. And, you know, whether it's within the European Union or neighbouring countries or global, because, you know, we, we can't afford even greater inequalities.
0: So to sum up, we can't have the answers to the questions we want to ask. How long will this last? When exactly will there be a vaccine? Can I plan a big wedding next year? Or go on that long planned round-the-world tour? But we can be sure of one thing. This pandemic has already changed us and will change us more. To get through it, our experts say we need to stick together, share our resources, communicate clearly and, of course, keep washing our hands. And that brings us to the end of this edition of Inside Geneva. My thanks to Ilona Kickbush, Nicola Lowe and Samia Hurst-Manyo for their words of wisdom. A reminder, this has been a Swissinfo.ch production and you can hear more episodes of the Inside Geneva podcast series and subscribe to it by going to Swissinfo.ch forward slash ENG forward slash Inside Geneva. I'm Imogen Folks. Thank you all for listening.
2: Discover science and innovation in Switzerland with the Swiss Connection podcast. In the current series, we visit CERN and explore what they're up to next in their quest to solve the mysteries of the universe. We uncover groundbreaking discoveries in a Roman archaeological site, and get the first glimpse of an exciting supersonic plane powered by hydrogen. From the tiniest particles to the vastness of space, Satisfy your scientific curiosity by listening to the Swiss Connection podcast for a mind-expanding experience with Swiss Info. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow or subscribe to get your latest episode on time.